Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me say good morning again. I do this time to time to wake you up, and you can say good morning back like you're uh, honored, deeply honored to be in the presence of the living God and in the company of one another. Good Good morning. There is a book by James Patterson. Uh, called The Day That America Told the Truth, and I do not recommend that you read it. Let's just say I've read good portions of it, and you can take my word for it. He reveals shocking statistics and disappointing statistics on how far people would go for more money. I've shared this briefly once before, and I'd like to again, but this particular survey, anonymously, uh, people answered what they're willing to do for $10 million dollars. A quarter of all people that answered this survey said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% said they would become a prostitute for one week. 21% of people said they would let their spouse be intimate with someone else. $10 million. 10% would withhold their testimony in court to let a murderer go free. And 7% would commit a murder. 3% of people for $10 million would abandon their children. Does this concern anyone? That for money, we live in a culture where many would abandon their family and put their marriage at risk, compromise their integrity, their purity, justice, and life itself. And your thinking Thank you, Adam. What a great, encouraging way to begin your sermon. But maybe this is why one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels, 16 out of Jesus' 38 parables, and 15% of the documented words that Jesus speaks have to do with money and wealth and possessions. Jesus makes this perfectly clear for you and I. Our wealth can can be hazardous, it can be helpful. It can be put to evil use. It can be put to righteous use. So we have a critical topic on our hands. We have to talk about this because too many people in our culture are gaining everything in this material world and they're forfeiting their soul. This is a massive conversation that we have to have as a church because it's getting in the way of our spirituality. This unfinished campaign, this unfinished initiative is an invitation for each of us to join together collectively to accomplish something far more than we could ever accomplish as individuals. We're in this together. But it's also an invitation to look within, to evaluate our stewardship, to measure where we sit in the health of our stewardship and our priorities. And it's not just something that we look at in one series or one sermon per year, but this is something that's critical for us to assess frequently in our lives because wealth has a great, thing, a great deal to do with our maturity spiritually as well as our eternity. So in Luke chapter 12, right before the passage that we're going to look at today, 
in verses 13 to 21, we find this famous warning from Jesus that you've heard before. Your life is not defined by an abundance of possessions. It's not defined by your possessions. You cannot trust in money. Money has no purchasing power over death. Money cannot purchase a ticket to heaven, period. But instead, we're told in this parable, be rich in relationship to God. We're encouraged to have spiritual wealth taking precedence over our earthly possessions, our earthly wealth. And Jesus couldn't have been more straightforward about the deceitfulness of money. He makes the warning very clear. And then he turns his attention to his disciples in verse 22, and he said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for this life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of course, how much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then you are not able to do a small thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon, even Solomon in all of his riches, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. How clear can Jesus be? How more clear can Jesus be that he wants to free his disciples from this enslaving anxiety? Do not be anxious. Why are you so anxious? Do not worry. Oh, how he wants us to be free from this. Now, he's not demeaning bodily concerns as unimportant. He's not saying that those of you who are already thinking about your lunch plans are evil. That's not the point. He's putting our natural concerns, things that we all feel and experience in this life, our fears, our anxieties, and our worries, he's putting these natural concerns into perspective. Don't worry. I'm your provider. Don't worry. Don't fear. And I wrote this down this week, and it shook me to my core because I'm so convicted by this. My worry about my resources is offensive to Jesus. It is. I mean, that's just honest. How many of you have children, and if they were consumed with worry, with anxiety, with fear over how they're going to attain what they need most in life, and you say, baby, listen, daddy's always going to have you in this. Mommy's always going to provide for you. Don't worry. Trust me. And they constantly live in this state of worry. Don't you step back and go, what's wrong with you? Why are you not taking me for my word? Trust me. Christ is saying, trust me, look at the birds. They're not made in God's image, and we're taking care of them. You are made in my image, and I will take care of you. Trust me, this assurance right here, this is an awesome assurance that separates the Christian from the secular world. Jesus eliminates 
the need for worry. And then there's this comical question. Hey, by being anxious, fearful, by worrying, can you add an hour to your lifespan? Is that possible? And we all know, of course not. We know that actually worrying accomplishes nothing good for us. It actually slumps the shoulders, stresses the body. Worrying might subtract hours from our lives. Verse 31, instead of all this worry, instead of all this anxiety, instead of this fear, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Parents and grandparents, raise your hand if you find pleasure in blessing your children, your grandchildren. Come on. It it literally brings you great pleasure to give to your children, your grandchildren. Our Father's good pleasure in giving us the kingdom to wake up in the morning, not thinking, how am I going to survive today? Not thinking, what all can I acquire today? But waking up instead in the morning with this deep hunger for God's kingdom. That's the all-encompassing challenge here, to wake up hungry for God before everything else, to be passionate about experiencing this saving, purifying, empowering, love-producing reign of God in your life. That's the call on our lives. To seek the kingdom of God is to treasure God. It's to treasure Him in a way that frees us from all of earth's disruptions, distractions, frustrations, enticements, and temptations. This is to break free from the addiction to earthly treasures, and instead to passionately seek treasures in heaven. To be immersed in this pursuit of God's kingdom is being aware of, now listen here, being immersed in this pursuit of God's kingdom is to be aware of and engaged in a wartime lifestyle. It is. It's to understand that this is a time of conflict not total peace and comfort. This is a time of conflict between God and Satan and righteousness and unrighteousness and light and darkness. And this cosmic battle is going on around you all day, every day. So we engage in this wartime mindset and lifestyle. And we understand that in this cosmic battle, our security is not in our wealth and it's not in our possessions. Our security is in God and God alone nothing else. So verse 33, sell your possessions. How much do you believe this to be true? Sell stuff. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Here's the truth. When we're distracted by anxiety over our own needs, we certainly won't be aware of the needs of others. I know this to be true in my own life. When I am consumed and distracted with anxiety over what I think I need or even what I want, I'm not aware of the needs of others around me. But when we give, when we give, when we live this life of radical generosity, when we love others more than our own security, when our generosity puts others before our own comfort level, we show that Christ is our treasure. And I think the greatest deterrent to living this kind of open-handed lifestyle with our wealth and possessions, the greatest deterrent to our giving 
is the illusion that earth is our home. I've got to acquire as much as I can here because this is it, this is home. And you know that's not the case. You know that is not true for you, Christian. Your home is in heaven. And heaven, this everlasting joy in the presence of God is the motivating factor behind our lifestyle. It's the motivating factor behind our spending. Paul urges us to prioritize heavenly treasures in 1 Timothy 6. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, and to be uh, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love in Proverbs 23.5, where we see the fleeting nature of money, that earthly treasures will fail us, cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly to the sky like an eagle. Now you see it, now you don't. Maybe that's why our dollar bill has an eagle printed on it, because they just fly away. Those of you with kids, more of it flies away. Those of you with kids in college, you don't even have any money. It flies away, it's gone. You can't, be, you can't place your trust in money, but instead we trust God, verse 34, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here and say that this is something that each one of us, regardless of how many years you've walked with Jesus, regardless how much you trust him and place your faith in him before your earthly possessions, regardless of how much wealth you have, this is something that at some point embraces each one of us. And we wrestle with where we place our heart, what we claim to be our greatest treasure. Because when God prospers us, when God prospers us, isn't our tendency to increase our standard of living before we increase our standard of giving? I think that's true for many. When God gives more, we tend to keep more. And so here are three questions that I think can protect ourselves from spiritualizing the American dream or materializing the gospel. Here they are. Am I focused on what I have or what I don't have? Think about this for yourself right now. Are you focused on what you have or or the things that you don't have? Are you focused on this life, accumulation, rather than distribution, or are you focused on the next life, laying up for yourself a treasure in heaven? And are you focused on your wants or others' needs? My wants or others' needs. In this sanctuary today, there's great diversity financially. Some here have unmet needs, and some here have plenty. But for context, just to offer us today a common denominator, if you make between thirty dollars and $40,000 a year in your household, you're in the top 3% of wealth worldwide. I mean, come on, let this sink in for a moment because we constantly 
wrestle with the desire for more. We constantly want to accumulate more. But in that context of knowing that thirty dollars to $40,000 income per year is the top 3% of wealth worldwide that 3 billion people on this planet live on less than $2 per day. It's safe to assume that we're an affluent people. Really, all of us are. And it is critical, my friends, to remember that what we have, it's either hazardous or helpful. I don't believe there's a gray. It's either one or the other. It's, it's hazardous to our hearts or it's helpful to the kingdom of God. Our affluence has to be stewarded well in a God-honoring fashion. If you're anything like me, you've had greedy thoughts or you've said words that you wish you could take back. I believe I've shared this story once briefly and I'm going to again uh, because it's my story and how I got a loving slap across the face from heaven. Early in our marriage, Andrea and I spent a lot of time at the Oklahoma City Rescue Mission. It's a homeless shelter that <clears throat> offers three hots and a cot, three warm meals and a bed to five to 7,000 people a night. We participated in their discipleship program for the people that lived there, spent the night there some, and made friends. And one night, Andrea came home. She had learned of a young, single woman who was homeless and who had delivered a baby. And she was glowing with excitement as she told me all of the items that she went and purchased at Target. That's the first thing that got my attention. She went to Target. And then she told me this long list of items that she purchased. Burp rags, diapers, passies, clothes, even a few items to bless the mother. That's the second thing that got my attention, the long list of items. And as I'm sitting here picturing this story unfolding, I see this shopping cart with this really, 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 really big pile of items. And you know what I thought? I wonder how much she spent. So you know what I asked her? How much did you spend? I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? How much did you spend on a homeless, young, new mother? And I'll never forget that day in my marriage because I crushed my wife. My greed that day stole her joy. She was glowing with excitement, and then I couldn't even look her in the eye because I was so embarrassed and ashamed in myself. I love telling that story to people, not because I enjoy looking like a selfish jerk, but because that's the day that God changed my heart. That's the day when this whole treasure in heart concept 
was born in me. I was focused on this life, I was focused on my wants more than this sweet new mother. And God gave me a wife, Mrs. Generosity, who for 13 years of marriage, I can't tell you one time that I've seen her be selfish or greedy, but instead lives her life with open hands. Through her example and God's patience with me, I've learned that you can give anything to anyone without loving them, but you cannot love without giving. You can't love without giving. I've learned that our checkbooks are one way of measuring our love for God and for neighbor. I've learned that in the kingdom of God, the more you give, the more you have. And that's not always financial. The more you give, the more you have. I've learned that it is truly more of a blessing to give than to receive, Acts 20, 35. I've learned happy is he who is gracious to the poor. He who is generous will be blessed, Proverbs 14. These are the things that we all learn over the course of our lives and our stories with God and with one another. Now, I know something about each one of you when it comes to your generosity. And here's what I know about every single one of you. You are a generous person. You're a generous person. I don't know to what extent, but I do know you're made in God's image and God is a giving God. You are generous. In your core, there is generosity. Let me prove it to you. Every one of you have driven by a lemonade stand in your neighborhood. And if you haven't, you know, I've already prayed you will soon. And you're thinking, I'm really tired. I'm worn out. It's been a long day. I don't know those two girls sitting behind the lemonade stand. I owe them nothing. What have they done for me? I'm hungry. I just want to put my feet up. And then something tugs at your heart, right? Something starts stirring within you when you look over and see those little girls. That's the Holy Spirit. That's generosity. And you pull up to that lemonade stand and you roll your window down and a little girl walks up and she says, it's 50 cents. You already read it on the sign. You know how much the lemonade costs. It's 50 cents. And you give her a dollar bill. And when she walks away to get your cup of lemonade, you say three words that completely change that little girl's day. Keep the change. She looks back at you like, are you serious? And you look back at her like, I'm serious. She skips back to her other little girlfriend and pours you an extra tall glass of lemonade because she gets to keep the change. And in your heart, you're, you're just loving watching this. She brings you your lemonade. By the way, for those of you, if she brings you two quarters change back and you take it, you need to call me this week because we need to have an appointment and talk about your heart. If you've ever taken two quarters back from a little girl at a lemonade stand, Come on, Christian. But she hands you your lemonade and with this big grin on her face, walks back to her lemonade stand to continue business. And you drive around the corner, you leave your window down because when you go around the corner, you chunk the lemonade out the window 
You're not going to drink it. You know, you don't trust the girl. I'm not saying that's the point. To buy the lemonade, you don't trust that it's clean and healthy. So you pour it out the window. But in your rearview mirror, you look back and you see this little girl jumping up and down, especially if you gave her a five or a 10. If you gave her a 20, you see her go back and start closing shop. She tells her girlfriend, lemonade stands closed for business. Maybe not just for the rest of the day or week, maybe for the season. Mom, this guy gave us a 20. That, that scene in your rearview mirror is what makes me believe that we get to give. We don't have to give. There's no obligation. This is a joy. This is a gift to us to live lives of radical generosity. We get to give. Giving is fun, isn't it? I mean, when we live our life like this instead of this, it's fun to engage with others with generosity. So this unfinished campaign, it's about all of us collectively looking at all that God has given us and saying, you know, I I wanna think about the kingdom of God first. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm gonna do for my family, but I'm gonna think about the kingdom of God first. I'm gonna pray and say, Lord, I wanna bless these children. I wanna bless these grandchildren. I wanna bless children that aren't even with us yet the next generation, our generosity crosses generational lines. The blessing continues far after we're gone. And this campaign, I believe, is going to help break the cycle of poverty in Northwest Tulsa. We do have an obligation to these people, and we as a church are walking faithfully into it. I saw many of you walk into that warehouse Friday night for a time of worship and prayer for our church family and your eyes tripled in size because you were excited, because you knew the children that are gonna find help there. You knew the people that don't have medical insurance are gonna get medical attention. You knew how much our church cares about their academic life and having a chance at life, getting educated. You knew that we're gonna put fresh produce in in the food pantry and let people eat fresh food. And that caused your heart to grow that night because we know every act of generosity for us as individuals, but for us as a church family creates this righteous ripple effect that could change the course of history for a little kid or an entire community, but it also changes our hearts. It also changes our hearts that we might live a Christ-treasuring, kingdom-minded life of love this kind of radical and passionate generosity, my friends, I believe will result in a far happier life than any life of luxury that we're chasing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the body of Christ here today that we're surrounded by to worship and community and fellowship with one another. And we just say we need your help, Lord. Teach us how to live lives focused on your kingdom before ourselves. Help us live lives where we see needs around us and we consider those needs over our wants. Help us to be radically generous. Help us to live with open hands so that we might give and receive according to your will. God, we worship you. 
you are worthy of our praise. In the name of Christ we pray.